0: The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer.
1: Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation with another trailblazing innovator who comes to our show today to discuss the very important topic. A bone marrow donation. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Dr. Andre Gua, Chairman and Director of the John Thurer Cancer Center at Hackensack University Medical Center. Dr. Gua, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for making the time today to talk about this very important topic. Before we begin our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background?
0: My name is Andre Gois. I am the uh, director and chairman of the John Terra Cancer Center um, at Hakenstack University Medical Center. I uh, trained in France, and then I was a physician in Paris. I did a master's in immunology and one in experimental oncology. And then I joined Memorial Stone Calorine Cancer Center. I stayed there for 10 years. Then I was at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, where I had continued my self-specialization in lymphoma and blood cancers. And then I joined the John Terry Cancer Center at Hackensack, in New Jersey 10 years ago, and I became a chairman four years ago. I have a strong interest in novel therapies and strategies in cancer, immunotherapy, and particularly applied to lymphoma, which in the division I run for as well.
1: Perfect. Thanks so much for that. And would you take a couple minutes to provide our audience with a 10,000-foot overview of the John Thurrer Cancer Center?
0: The John Thoreau Cancer Center is actually uh, started 25 years ago. We celebrated our 25th anniversary last night. The timing couldn't be better. We had a great event at the center. We celebrated also our close to 6,000 bone marrow transplants. The first one by physician being done 25 years ago with an autologous bone marrow transplant that means using the cells of the patient himself after high dose chemotherapy to help them recover from the side effects and the toxicity of chemotherapy. So let's there with two chairs from chemotherapy and the bone marrow transplant by a physician called Andrew Pecora who came trained at Memorial and came after his fellowship to develop a transplant program here. Rapidly, the program actually grew and transformed rapidly into a highly sub-specialized multi-group practice with now 14 divisions that are highly specialized with experts that are world-renowned to run each of those divisions. And one of the advantages of the John Turner Cancer Center is the focus of the physician on really a very limited uh, subtype of cancer, which we know really matters for the outcome of the patient because it evidently the more you see, the better you become at the issue in a way it is to really get yourself involved and immerse into the innovation and the research for each of those topics. So we became one of the largest cancer programs in the nation. Our bone marrow transplant program is one of the largest in the world. This year, we'll have more than 400 bone marrow transplants. We are located seven miles from midtown Manhattan. And we have a strong focus on clinical research with over 400 publications over the last five years. We had a 39 presentation at the American Society of Hematology meeting last weekend in Orlando in Florida. And we have a strong academic interest as well through our partnership with the NCI, which we started eight years ago, and with Georgetown University and the Lombardy Cancer Center, which we started four three years ago. And the goal is to become NCI-designated with a consortium with Georgetown, but also to strengthen our research program through our collaboration with Georgetown. We also have established a collaboration with the Stephen Institute and are currently in the process of launching a translational research Research Center at the ex-Hoffman-La Roche campus, which is 15 minutes away from here in Nutley, as well as a medical school with Sidon Hall. So we have multiple things happening in a very rapidly growing program very successful in terms of volume and research aspects and it's probably it's a great i'm very proud as chairman to see that we are very much involved in a current ongoing revolution that is happening in cancer care with the novel therapies that are coming down the right, down the road from using better markers to stratify patients for what we call precision medicine right the impact of novel therapies, particularly the biological therapy, and then immunotherapy that is probably the most exciting field in oncology these days.
1: Great. Dr. Guo, what is a donor registry? and How does it work? Well, it is important to explain to our audience a little bit more what it is.
0: There's two types of bone marrow transplant. There's a bone marrow transplant, as I mentioned for the first one, at the John Torric Cancer Center, which was using the cells of a, don- of a patient, Collecting them, we collect them like we collect from a blood transfusion. We separate the cells with a machine that's called phoresis. We can freeze those cells down, and those cells are frozen away. We can give very heavy chemotherapy to eliminate all the cancer cells in the body, but by doing so, we are very toxic on the bone marrow. So we then reinfuse those cells, and it's called a transplant, but it's truly a reinfusion for stem cell rescue so that we can help recover from the heavy chemotherapy for the transplant. That's what's called autologous stem cell transplant. The other way is to try to do the stem cells from a donor. And to your point to the registry in a minute, the donor is when you take the cells of a donor that is compatible, and it's not the same as the blood group. It's a different kind of blood group that we call that look at leukocyte markers, the white cells, on the surface of white cells. There are markers, all types of white cells, in all types of cells in the body that help the immune system work together but recognize or reject the, what is not part of the host, et cetera. So it's a really important key for the immune system to function. That's why when someone gets an organ transplant or a bone marrow transplant, we have to make sure that they are compatible and they can be accepted as an organ or as a bone marrow. So in order to do that, we have to get type the family members and try to identify what's called a sibling. And it's important because if we can find a sibling, it's easier typically to do these transplants. But unfortunately, there are still 7 out of 10 patients who need a bone marrow transplant from a donor who do not find a donor. So we have, over the years, improved this by doing what's called cold blood transplant, but it's not very easily doable because it's very few cells, et cetera. So it's not very used frequently and we can use also cells of a parent or a child because by definition they're going to be most of the time half identical And then that's called haploidentical transplant. And those are more recent. But the bulk of the allotransplant have been done from a donor that is an unrelated donor. And the way you do that, you actually participate into the registry. So that's very easy. You actually, you can go and get more information, practical information. Go on, not, as I say, not, don't go on match.com, but go on match.org because match.org is where you're going to find all the practical information to explain to you on how to proceed to try to be a donor. So this registry already has close to 30 million donors worldwide, but this is still not enough, as I mentioned, because 7 out of 10 people, patients who need a transplant, cannot find a donor. So it's not painful when the way you do that, once you register, you have almost like a Q-tip that is being sent to you, and then you can actually swab inside your cheek, and then you have enough DNA, and this is analyzed to put to analyze the markers of this HLA system, and it's put in a system. So once we identify someone who is a match, then we can actually uh, go back and contact the potential donor and get more blood from this donor, shipped from around the world, to try to refine the testing to make sure that this patient is. Compatible, And if this is confirmed, uh, the person becomes a potential donor for a patient anywhere in the world. And we are one of the big centers that collect cells to sheep around the world. And uh, just this week, we actually did four bone marrow harvests for patients from donors to sheep around the world for other patients who need this somewhere else in the world. Wow. And the way those cells are collected, there's two ways to do it. Either we can give a growth factor to help the bone marrow liberate some of these cells that are reserve stem cells, and we can collect them from the blood, or sometimes we collect them under anesthesia from the tailbone and the bone marrow by an aspiration process are done evidently under anesthesia. And then we can freeze those cells and re-inject them to a patient. After we have given this patient chemotherapy to both eradicate the leftover cancer, blood cancers typically, leukemia, lymphoma or myeloma, and then giving them chemotherapy that makes the immune system weaker and therefore they can accept those cells. And what is interesting, Joel, is that those cells very slowly grow into the body and learn on how to become accepted or to accept as well the body. Because one of the important challenges of bone marrow transplant is the fact that the cells can sometimes... They are not very frequently rejected. We can handle this very well. The opposite is more common, is when the cells become too strong. That's called graft-versus-host disease. We typically call it GVH. And this graft-versus-host disease is like a very severe, brutal autoimmune disease. And when you have this, you obviously want to prevent that because if you start to have this, it becomes very complicated to manage. Patients have to be put on intensive regimens for immunosuppression. They get infection, etc. So we do as much as possible to prevent this graft disease. So the registry is a very easy formula, and I explain to you around what's the reason to have this registry and how easy it is to do. It is important to remember there's only there's every three minutes there's a patient that is diagnosed in the U.S. with uh, blood cancer. Wow. And this is really important to understand that because a lot of these patients will eventually need a bone marrow transplant, and there's only 2% of the American population that participate into the registry itself.
1: Wow. What are the odds of finding a donor match, and how can we improve those numbers?
0: It's a matter, of obviously, of statistics in a way. The more donors we have, the better, obviously, Right. But obviously, this is also important to have all ethnicities, if I want to say, uh, present in a, into the, the registry. And that's why it's important that we think about it as, an, as a global goal, that all ethnicities, all groups participate, Hispanic included, et cetera, so that we have enough representation of the population so that we can find a donor. And once there are some situations where there is no donor, what communities often organize what they call a donor drive, and these donor drives are important because they sometimes help find a donor. This is not very common that they help identify a donor, but that can happen. So anything that brings up the number of potential donors increase statistics so that you're gonna have a donor. But this is really something that is easy to do, not painful, potentially very rewarding, and I'm gonna give you just an example. Okay. There was an interesting story that was published recently from a patient, and we have seen this over the years multiple times, where we reunite the donor and the patient. And there was an interesting story that the patient had had blood cancer, I think it was lymphoma in Israel, and uh, needed a donor, couldn't find a donor, and there was a medical student in Philly, whose father died of lymphoma and was a match. So she gave her a marrow and then the patient did well. And then after a year, typically they can be reunited and it was really touching to see, I've seen this and witnessed this myself when this happened physically, when they reunite because it's almost like a new birthday. right? And you have something very close to someone when you have, not only you have saved, saved someone's life, but you also share something with someone, and then uh, we have then a very often a relationship that starts with you know, and the donor from the donor to the patient,
1: and they become friends, and it's very nice to see. If I were called to donate, what would be the process for donating the marrow? So the process is very simple. Again, you swab
0: your, with a Q tip, you swab to get DNA, and then it's, it's analyzed, and then if it's confirmed that you're a potential match, then they would, the potential donor is contacted by a local center. And again, if you go to match.org, you're gonna find all the practical information to try to find a center nearby, to try to find people nearby that can advise you of where to go to try to drop the sample, to try to get advice, to try to you know, even meet some counselors about how they see what are the implications, if you can, uh, what are the ramifications of doing all this. So you can get much more information through the website. So again, an easy process to be screened. Once you're in a registry, you might be called, and if you you're cold, then some blood will be requested. It will be analyzed to confirm that you are the potential donor, and then the cells will be collected either from the blood or the bone marrow and then less process, and then it's something that can be very, again, rewarding, as not it?
1: What are some of the most incredible strides made against cancer throughout the years, technology, treatments that you could share with us?
0: I think it's the best time ever to be in oncology. I truly believe that we have witnessed, but we will continue to witness in the next 10, 15 years, more changes than we had in the last 100 years. And I will try to summarize this uh, quickly. We had, if you put it in perspective, we had last night at our event, I had invited Siddhartha Mukherjee, who won the Pulitzer Prize for writing The Emperor of All Maladies, a biography of cancer. It is a, quite a spectacular book that sort of goes back, revisits cancer, both the scientific aspect and the social and patient aspect of the evolution of cancer. I remember meeting a physician that became a friend from MD Anderson, uh, Dr. Freylerach, who is a monument in oncology, who is the first one to put together a regimen with uh, Dr. Fry as well, in combination chemotherapy with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, where the mortality was 100%. And they started to treat patients, and the first out of the first 19 patients, when they were able to combine, the 12 or the first 19 did really well. So that was very impressive. That was sort of the launching of really of polychemotherapy, and then it started in lymphoma, et cetera. But you see in the book the progress and in the frustration and in the declaration of war in 1971, and then the public opinion sometimes says, you know, we invested in a lot of this in this research. We hear a lot about this, but we still see a lot of problem in cancer. There's no question that cancer is still a big problem. The incidence of cancer would increase about 40% until 20 by 2035, but there's a lot of great hope on the horizon. First of all, we understand the cancer cell biology much better, thanks to the human genome and understanding of the cancer cell biology. This has allowed us to identify to develop drugs that target some of the mutation or abnormalities in those cancer cells, and those are called targeted biological agents. And some of them have, as a single lesion, an activity that is 80, 90 percent as a pill, because they lock something that is very important in a cancer cell. What it has also shown to us is the enormous diversity of cancer. So that means two patients with the same cancer from the perception and under the microscope can behave completely differently. And obviously because they're wired differently. Because cancer results from an accumulation of mistakes that we call mutations that occur randomly that give a survival advantage to the cells. So the cells keep accumulating those abnormalities and become more and more aggressive over time. And if you have these two cancers that look the same, but they're very different, they're not gonna react the same to treatment evidently. So the next step of this understanding of this cancer diversity it's starting to narrow as much as we can the specifications and the stratifications of patients when we first meet them in order to identify in what subgroup they are so that we can understand their disease better. And that's what's called precision medicine or precise medicine. And the future is to match this plus the tools of chemotherapy and aggressive cancer the new tools, biological therapy, and a the less aggressive cancer, or the combination of both. This is going to be very critical moving forward. The other thing that is really spectacular is harnessing the immune system to fight cancer. We knew from a long, long time that the immune system can kill cancer cells. The first treatment of cancer with Ehrlich was actually inducing abscess, infection, and while the cells were we are fighting for infection, they were so stimulated they would actually kill cancer cells as well. So then came BCG therapy that is still used these days in bladder cancer that cured some patients with myeloma. And then the idea that you could stimulate the immune system was very interesting. The progress, the knowledge of immunology was not good enough at the time to understand what are the tricky, that's really the right, tricky relationship between the cancer cell and the immune system. The immune system is able to eradicate, as we speak, anytime, every day, cancer cells that are starting to arise but so what cancer cells do the best is the first thing that one of the first things they do is develop strategies to escape the immune system so the way they do that is two ways either they hide by not expressing molecules that would make them recognized by the lymphocytes the killer cells of the immune system or they overexpress a molecule that tees the immune system and exhausts the immune system and there's two ways to escape so now we have ways And eventually what cancer cells do, they induce a dormant immune system that's called tolerance. And if we can break this tolerance by what's called checkpoint inhibitors, this could be very promising. And that's what we have been seeing over the last couple of years in lung cancer, melanoma, kidney cancer, lymphoma, leukemia, across the board. We are starting to see that when you use these antibodies called checkpoint inhibitors, you wake up the immune system, unleash the immune system, and you have patients that we are sent to hospice who actually come back and do really well. Wow. It's really impressive. And the last piece of this immunotherapy, it's a form of immunotherapy. And transplant is a form of immunotherapy. It's a cell therapy. When you do an transplant which is from a donor, you replace the bone marrow, replace the entire immune system, and at the beginning, you have to give immunosuppressors, as I explained, so that the cells do not go crazy. But over time, it's really amazing. The system learns on how to live into a new host, and you can stop those immunosuppressors usually after a year. And then it prevents the lymphoma to come back, and that's really critical. What we can do is actually go beyond that and say, okay, we're going to do a transplant, but what ways we could do to do cell therapy without having to do the transplant? And that's what you've heard in the news is what's called manipulating T cells genetically to arm them to try to go after the cancer cell. And those cells are typically called chimeric antigenic receptor. So it's a complicated word to say that we modify genetically the key receptor at the surface of T cells that will make them able to attack cancer cells. And we have seen patients who had refractory leukemia, dying of leukemia in the ICU, that you inject one dose of modified T-cells who go in remission that last years. So this is going to be really interesting when we are able to use the benefit of biological therapy in addition to the chemo or instead of chemo. Bring a patient into remission and then reinforce their immune system so that the disease doesn't come back. And that's where cancer is going.
1: Perfect. Dr. Gouard, audience loves to hear success stories. Is there any way you could share a story about a patient that was on the registry that didn't have a very good outlook and ended up thriving? Yeah,
0: I can tell you multiple stories this them one that comes to mind. A patient came to see me a few years ago, about five years ago, a guy who is um, a cop and then a guy who has um, no medical history, and he starts to having these very large masses growing under his skin, not on his skin, under his skin, but very impressive. So evidently, this was worrisome. He came to see me and I diagnosed him immediately with a very aggressive form of what's called an aggressive lymphoma that's called Burkitt-like lymphoma. It's a form of very aggressive lymphoma. So that requires a very intensive chemotherapy, which we did put the guy in remission. He goes into remission, does well for two months, recurs with a different form of leukemia. And what it means is that the cell that was sick in this patient, that was the beginning of the cancer, was so early on into the mother cells of the bone marrow, if you want to call it, or the progenitors of the bone marrow, that when he recurred, he recurred with a different form of cancer, but it's still a blood cancer. So we went from aggressive lymphoma to a form of leukemia that was different. So at that time, this patient was in a really difficult situation because it was two months after receiving almost four months of inpatient chemotherapy nonstop. And the first reflex was to the physician that we are involved outside that had seen a guy when he recurred and said, you know, there's nothing we can do. And then they said, no, we should do something very intensive. The guy was very young, 30, 35. And then, so we did something very aggressive and it really had, we looked for a donor and then we were able to find a donor pretty quickly. Usually that takes 8 to 12 weeks, but we identified a donor pretty quickly. And we were able to do an unrelated transplant from a donor, and this patient is four years out, and it's fine. So we have had numerous stories with this guy, with patients that literally had their lives saved, uh, no question about this, thanks to the fact that they, we could change their immune system by cells that were coming from somewhere else in the world.
1: Outstanding must be very rewarding.
0: It is what we're here for. But you know what? There's nothing better than saving someone's life, I think. But what's you, as a physician and chairman here, I think it's really wonderful to see the results, evidently. But it's also really nice to see the impact it has on the team and the staff when they have success stories because it's very encouraging, it's very rewarding for them, but it's also why they get up every morning. That's why they come to do. And that's wonderful. So we ended up doing, I started seven years ago, a cancer survivors event at the Statue of Liberty, And we outgrew Ellis Island the first year. So last year, we had 5,000 patients. And then it's a day for patients, cancer survivors working to. And that's really, really exciting to see the enthusiasm. And then sometimes we have some donors of transplant coming and joining their new body for which they allow the rebirth. Mm-hmm.
1: Dr. Guo, as we wrap it up here, before I let you go, where should people go to learn more about the John Thurer Cancer Center at Hackensack University Medical Center?
0: We have a website, JT, for John dot org, and then you'll find complete information, overview in more detail about the research, our accomplishment, and what we have done, and, and then more than happy to answer any questions. patient can contact me, Dr. Guo, at the uh, Cancer Center, 551 5759. Five, I'm more than happy to answer any questions as much as we can help any other person. That's why we're here for.
1: Great. And I'll also remind the audience to go to www.match.org to learn about the yes, registry. Yes, not, not, match, not match.com. <laughs> you need to remember, match.org. That's right. Good deal. Dr. Gua, it was so great to have you. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your great wisdom with us. That was my pleasure.
0: Thank you very much. Yes, have a great day.
1: You too. That wraps this broadcast on behalf of our guest, Dr. Andre Gois. I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.